0: Walking with Jesus is something that is uh, an everyday thing because we walk. He gave us two legs to walk through our days. And that's not just an exercise or something that we as human beings who are upright beings walking, but it also means a lifestyle with Jesus. This isn't the sermon, by the way. This is just a, a, a warm-up. And walking in the scriptures is an intimate thing. My wife and I love to walk. And we have a little park. Well, it's, no, it's not a little park. It's a big park near our home. And so we often will just, okay, let's go for a walk. And we walk through the park. And during that time, we pray We argue, we we share our thoughts with each other, and it's a time for us to be together. Walking is healthy. In fact, walking is healthier than running, by the way. I know so many people who've had knee surgery, and they're 30 years younger than I am, from running. Anyway, walking is a lifestyle of of walking with Jesus, knowing him intimately, and being able to, in your daily lives, I was just sharing with a a brother this morning before the service who was saying that his, his job is standing and doing some work and it's just tedious. And I said, that reminds me when I was just out of high school, And my first job, well, it was one of my first, because I told you before I had another job, but that was the second job. I worked for the Sunkissed Packing Plant, taking packed oranges off of the conveyor belt and stacking them. I loved that job. At that time, it was a time in my life when I was really Deciding, where does God want me to go? I almost became a roommate with uh, Dan at Westmont. And I was struggling with the Lord. Where am I going to go to college? And just in the last uh, few uh, weeks of my job, I just felt the Lord was putting it on my heart to go to the Bible school that my father had been to and find out that it was also Katie's dad had gone there. They were in the same class. We didn't know each other at the time. But it's those kind of things that happen to you when you walk with the Lord. And so we're going to open our Bibles and read about Romans. We've been walking through the Bible in, according to Romans, according to Paul and to the Romans, Romans chapter 4, Father, we ask you to bless your word. We ask you to enlighten us and give us insights that we've never had before. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 4, reads says, out of the New American Standard. I switch back and forth, by the way, from ESV and NASB. So I hope you don't feel slighted, those of you who have the ESV or the NIV or whatever. But I like to get the sense of uh, different uh, words and uh, translations. What then shall we say? that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due to him. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. In Psalm 32, Paul quotes, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed, or happy, is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Same kind of word, credit, account. Is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? That's the argument that Paul is putting forward here. Big controversy in that international church. While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. That was Abraham. And he received the sign of circumcision, a sign of the righteousness of, of the faith, which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised. That righteousness might be credited to them, all of us. And the father of the circumcision to those who are not only of the circumcision, but who also follow in the steps, the faith of our father, Abraham, which he had, well, uncircumcised. Excuse me, it's, that's most of us here. Meaning the Gentiles, as opposed to the Jews who were circumcised. But the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, Faith is made void, no good, and the promise is nullified, abolished. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there's no violation. If there's no law in the books, the sheriff can't put you in jail. For this reason, it is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace. So that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants. Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, a father of many nations have I made you. In the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being, that which does not exist. In hope against hope, he believed, so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken. So shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated or considered or understood his own body now, as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb—how could they have baby at that age? Yet, with the respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. Incredible passage. This truth that, that Paul is teaching in this chapter, some may think that chapter 8 is a good chapter, and we're, we're headed in that direction. But this one is basic Christianity 101 This is where we really get down to what it means to be a Christian Some of you may think well does God really hear our prayer does God really hear me does he really answer am i really even a Christian am i saved How do I know I am? I don't feel like it. Sometimes it's a problem for me. And I'm not going to have you raise your hand and say, yeah, that happens to me, or it has happened to me. But that is what we all struggle with. I don't know a Christian that has never had a problem with that, other than my wife, Katie. She's shaking her head no. We do struggle with these things. I struggled with it for years and years. I came to the Lord when I was 11 years old. And I'll never forget that night. As we were coming home in a 49 Ford, we had just come from a tent meeting where I had accepted Christ as my Savior. I understood I was a sinner. I understood that I needed Christ. And we were sitting in a very large, large tent with sawdust floors. And there was a a band. And, you know, we had bands back in those days too, you know. And at at the message, and the invitation, I came forward by myself. And I knelt down at a wooden bench and asked Jesus, come into my life and make me clean and make me a missionary. I hardly knew what a missionary was. (laughs) Really, that first night of asking him in and make me a missionary. And look where I am. See, you don't know where God is going to lead you if you start praying. Because his answers may not be exactly what you want. I was going to go to South America or Africa, but we ended up in Japan. God is a God who will give us what we want but in his way, not in our way. But yet he will answer the desires of our heart. Now, how does that happen? Well, he's God and he can do it. And so he does that with us. We pray for this and he answers this, but that's really what I was praying for. Because he knows us, and he knows his will and purpose for us in our lives. And so, as we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. That is a truth in a hymn. That's what happens to us when we give our lives to Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is the promise keeper. Our outline this morning is faith in the promise keeper. Point one is Abraham's faith, verses 1 to 15, the promise and the father of promise. Then our second point is the promise keeper because it's really all about him. He's the one that makes things happen. He's the creator God. He's the one who is supreme in understanding each one of us. How many billion people are there on the earth today? Is it seven and growing? In fact, it's even growing again now in Japan. They've finally come to that place of not zero birth, but there's more births lately. And it's 30 and 40-year-olds that are having the babies these days. Amazing. But God is knowing seven billion people all at once. Can you get your mind around that? I can't even think about a room full like this. He knows every one of you, He knows who you are, He knows where you've come from, He knows your ancestry, He knows your history. He knows you. He knows how you're made together in your DNA and your genes and not your Levi's, but the uh, <laughs> genes that make up your brown hair, your, your black hair, your, well, that's not gene problem, isn't it? The white hair that I have. Uh, well, it is because my ancestors turned white as well. But he knows every one of us. Incredible that he would know all of us simultaneously. God is an incredible God. The promise keeper, and it's by grace. And there's a guarantee. And that's what we read already. Let's, let's point that out. Abraham's faith. Genesis 15, 5 and 6. And God took Abram outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars. If you are able to count them, so shall your descendants be. How many children did Abram have? Zero. Zero. And it says, then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned to him as it as righteousness. He had no children. He was 90, no, he was 75, 75. He was a year younger than me. I can't think of having children at my age. But anyway, Abram had no children and desired to have children. And God promised to him, your descendants will be as the stars. Now get your head around that. It's more than 7 billion, by the way, out there. Did you know that there's more people living on the earth than have ever lived on the earth? And that there's more people living on the earth a day than all who have died before us. That is incredible to think. That's why it's so important now that we have an opportunity to share the gospel with billions of people. All of you should be missionaries. God has put you there to be missionaries. To be those who know God, who walk with God, know him, he knows you. And he puts you with certain people. You all have those kind of relationships, don't you? Even the ones that you don't like to be working with, he puts you there. So that you can be a light and a witness to them. That's what it's all about. That's what God desires of us. Abram believed God and he reckoned or credited to him as righteousness. Okay, what does that word mean? You saw it on the screen. I hope you saw the red. Did you see the red credit and righteousness? I love doing that in my Bible of outlining and looking for words that connect and have meaning. Makiko here, uh, knows what I'm talking about. She's been a, a teacher and leader of precept Bible study. Best Bible study tool I know of. And how to study your Bible, how to know your Bible. Incredible. Talk to Makiko Ma- afterwards. She'll be, fill you in, sign you up. Credited is, I don't know how many times I didn't count it, that it, is in this one chapter. That's an important word. It means not like my credit card in my pocket. My credit card will give out with probably 10 shopping sprees to Costco. But this credit card that God is talking about, that he uses, has the wealth Of heaven. In fact, that wealth was created on earth in the person of Jesus Christ. All who confess Jesus Christ as Savior have that credit card. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Another scripture that Paul says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, meaning Jesus, shall be saved. Whoever calls on the name of Jesus shall be saved. It's as simple as that. It's the credit card. It's got Jesus' name on it. And you come and you want salvation. You receive it because you have the credit card. And it's good. And it works. What does it give us? Righteousness. What is righteousness? This congregation knows what righteousness is. You know the kanji. <laughs> is there ever a message I can not get through or get through without saying that and bringing our attention to that. It is so precious and it's such a reality that the lamb over me in Japanese kanji and Chinese the lamb itsuji over me ware means righteousness. What a truth planted in one of the most ancient languages in the world. How did it get there? Well, that's another sermon. (laughs) But righteousness means that there's no wrong. That I am made righteous, granted righteous, by the fact that I have this card, credit card in Jesus' name, shall be saved. And in the name of Jesus, my sins are forgiven. Because of what he did, he being the perfect lamb over me, making me righteous, incredible. The Father of faith. So let's read about Hebrews eleven, eight to ten, talks about Abraham, who his name was Abram, and God exchanged part of his name for Abraham, the God of Abraham. And Abraham, the Ha of Yahweh, that part he became Abraham, a covenant between God and Abram. And his name was changed to read Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going we give our lives to Jesus basically this is what happens you give your life to Jesus and it's not like well I'll give him Sunday morning for an hour no Ron speaking, it's an hour and a half. So I give my life to Jesus for that time. No, sorry. It doesn't work that way. You give your life to Jesus and you die to your own desires. You give your life to Jesus and you're not the master of your life any longer. He's the one who directs. He's the one who is in control of your life. That's the way it works to be a Christian. So that we become not our own, but we become like him, but still in a body like mine and like yours. And he begins to work in your life like you've never known before. That's what it means to follow Jesus Christ. It's a total commitment. I'm a bit disturbed by preachers that are saying, you come to Jesus and your worries are over. It's going to be the best life you could ever have. Well, that is a half-truth. Because as soon as you turn your life over to Jesus trouble starts. And that's the way it was with all the patriarchs, even Abraham. He gave himself to believing in God. But he went another 30 years, almost 30 years, trying to see that promise accomplished. And it wasn't. But he believed God. And he was made righteous. He walked In that truth, when it says give your life to Jesus, it means a total commitment. But let me tell you something. Yes, there will be troubles, but he is walking alongside you. He's the one who walked on this earth and was called nasty names because he had no father, an illegitimate child. He was an outcast. They took him outside the city and they hung him naked on a cross. He was totally committed to the Father's will. And that is what he desires for us to be and do, is to walk as Jesus walked. We sang that song during the offertory. Walking with Jesus, walking every day. Walking all the way. To walk with Jesus means total commitment, folks. It's not, you come to Jesus, everything's going to just be smooth sailing. That is a lie. That is a false gospel. And I'm very disturbed with preachers that say, you deserve it because God loves you so much. You are so lovely he'll just pour gifts upon you? Maybe. But most likely, if that's what you're looking for, there'll be bitterness with it. There'll be trouble. God wants us to know how to give ourselves away and receive eternal life, a righteous life, a life that is full. That's what it means to be a savior. We never had anything in the beginning and we don't have anything at the end other than eternal life with Him. Our sin's forgiven and we're in right standing and there's nothing that gets in the way between Him and myself, the God of heaven. I don't think I finished with the... uh Hebrews passage. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Did Abraham ever find that city? Anybody read a passage about Abraham finding that city? No, he didn't. Did God let him down? No. But think of the billions of people that have given their lives to follow the God of Abraham as being his descendants. He was the biggest father in all of humanity. The most prolific. Abraham's faith, he was our father because he believed God. What a miracle. What a design that God had. He's our model, both Jew and Gentile. And that's what Paul was trying to get across in this chapter. This is what it's all about. The Jews thought, well, we have the truth. Yes, you do. And you Gentiles, that's all of us who are not Jews, we Gentiles, whether we're Japanese or Kenyans or Americans, or Americans, by the way, are not really a race, uh, (laughs) or Chinese or Indian, all of us had no hope. Not a hope. Unless we became a Jew and followed their law, and were then incorporated as proselytes. Proselytes had standing. They were considered to be a Jew, but not a real Jew, although they followed the law. And even those who followed the law meticulously, remember Jesus said, man came to him and said, what do you say? That I must do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus says, "Keep the law. He says well, all of these things from my life. I've, I've kept my whole life. I'm a Jew, don't you know? I have salvation. But what must I do? You know, he had some doubts, just like what we started talking about. All of us have doubted our position. And Jesus said to him, obviously the way he was dressed and whatever, his giveaway was that he was rich. And Jesus said, go, sell all that you have and follow me. Follow me. What does it say about him? It was the saddest person you can imagine. He went away sad. He couldn't do it. He just couldn't do it. Couldn't believe it. He wasn't like Abraham. He was a Jew. But he wasn't like Abraham. He says, Abraham's my father. No. He really wasn't following like Abraham. He was sad. Because he had sold his soul to the riches of this world. A few weeks ago you guys laughed when I said Justin Bieber, young man who rose to fame came from a Christian home, I hear, and sold out. They read something about him just a few weeks ago. He says, "I hate. I hate" Being a monkey in the zoo. People coming up and wanting to get a picture of me. He's not free. He's a freak. That's what he said about himself. I feel like a freak going out into the crowds. Rich, young kid. And he threw it away, apparently. threw away his Christian heritage. Threw away the life in Christ to be a freak. That's how he felt. Sad, sad, sad. But Abraham was our father of faith. The promise keeper. For this reason it is by faith in order that it may be in accordance with grace. Grace so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. It's by grace, folks. The law came from Moses. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. It's pure grace that I, a sinner, should be forgiven for the thoughts that I've had, for the things that I have done, for the feelings that I've had against people, for the words that I've said, that I could be forgiven just at trusting in a man named Jesus. Pure grace. It has nothing to do with good works. Your salvation does not have anything to do about How many times you read the Bible? How many times you pray each day? It has to do with God's grace that you've come. Jesus, forgive my wickedness, my sins. Make me like you. I desire to be like you. That's pure grace. Katie and I were remembering this morning as we came what is the acronym that spells out grace? Does anybody know that? Have you heard that? Pro- I bet you Dan knows that. God's riches at Christ's expense. Take each one of the first letters. Spells grace. Say it to me again. God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at at Christ's expense. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It comes by grace. Not by just walking through your life doing everything right. Because you'll never be able to do that. None of us. That's humanity's number one problem. We're trying to elect a a president in the United States who is noble, who is honorable. We can't find anyone that can measure up. Wow, we're the greatest country in the world. And we can't find a leader that's honorable. God's riches at Christ's expense. And he comes to us with that offer Believe in me. Trust in me. Know that I have paid the full penalty for your sin. Know that I have taken all of your wickedness upon myself hanging on the cross and you go free. You walk in joy. And sing the song walking with Jesus walking every day, walking all the way. That's where God has us. In his love and his desire for us. Knowing us better than we know ourselves. And it's his guarantee. Why? Because of Jesus' death. For as we read, By grace, in the presence of him who he believed, even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist, in hope against no hope. I put that little word no in there because looking at that, what does hope against hope really mean? It means hope when there's no hope. He believed so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which has been spoken so shall your descendants be. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. And the guarantee, verses 21 to 25, and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. God is able to perform the impossible. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. Now, not for Moses' sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but it was for our sake also, to whom will be credited as those who believe in him, Jesus, who, who, who believe in God, who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because or for our justification. We talked about this. God is a just God. And he can't just say, oh, that's okay, Sonny. You're you're okay today. I'll let that one go. He can't do that. He's a righteous judge. He's a righteous God. He can't just say, it's okay. I do that sometimes myself. No, he doesn't. He is a righteous God. And he can't just blow it off. Jesus was raised from the dead for our justification and for God's justification that God would be just in what he does. Punishing his own son with the deeds that I did and you did and billions have done. That's the gospel. That is what we're excited about. We're free. We are free in Jesus because he paid the debt for us fully and it's complete and it's done. And when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he said, it is is finished. Meaning that our redemption, our justification, our salvation, all of it is done. And the enemy comes to you and says, did God really say? That sounds like the hiss of a snake that we studied last year in Genesis. And we believe it. We say, yeah, I feel bad. Well, see, that's the kind of God you serve. No. The enemy can't break through that guarantee. We have a guarantee in Jesus Christ. And so when we look at Jesus, when we see what he has done for us, we fall down with admiration and honor of him who loved us and gave himself for us. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord.